Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Recorded live.
What's up, bud? What's going on, man? Not too much. I was just just kind of doing a little homework on all the games and was doing a little googling. So I got yeah. We we gonna we gonna start with LSU Louisville because I was trying to remember we had a little audio problem with our college football bowl game show, so that's why I wanted to hit a little bit of these uh, games that are left. So okay, okay. Sounds good. Uh, I don't understand how Channing Crowder's the guy taking that shot. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but hey, when you're the open man, you, you got to take it. But you're supposed to have a go-to guy. Really, that play should have been drawn up for Isaiah Thomas to take that shot. But that's exactly that's what, what I just said. A better option. Brad Stevens has to get a better option on that for them on that play. Right, but that's what they were saying is in their offense, whoever's open, they they got the green light to shoot in that situation. But shouldn't have, Crowder, shouldn't have been Crowder taking that shot. Yeah, that's but I'll why. Take that's, the, that's I'll, why I, I'll take the win. <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt, no doubt. I just, you know, like I just like good basketball, and you get frustrated when you see stuff like that. Um, you know, that, that's the that's their biggest problem now. Like they don't. They don't want to make one guy the man, and they let Isaiah Thomas play the man for the first, you know, three quarters, and then they want to play like that at the end. That doesn't make any sense, but, you know, hey, I'm not a Celtics fan, so. Right. All right. Uh, one of my big questions, think about this one as we go going through the Bengals podcast. A lame duck coach next year. If Marvin Lewis's contract's up that whole year, how do you draft? How do you decide in free agency? That was the only thing I was thinking about, you know, like a real angle or something else to really go into. Um, because everything you say, I mean, I've, I've been reading Bengals stuff, you know, today. Every, I mean, it's everything you've been talking about on the last podcast, you know what I mean? Whether it's the free agents, it's the same names and everything like that. But that's the big thing, I think, moving forward. At least me, I don't know, you tell me, of course. But that's the one angle that I was trying to think of, of you know what I mean? Something that people aren't discussing yet that will be the real key to how the Bengals, you know, will be next yeah. year. Yeah, I mean, you have key guys like uh, Drake or Patrick. You have uh, Whitworth, um, Damata Pecco, Stallworths, you know, within our uh, franchise, these, these veterans. They're all free agents, man. So are they going to make a decision and finally really start to revamp things, or are they – they're going to try to just like they always do, the old mantra, and just re-sign pretty much all of their free agents. It looks like they're going to have to step outside of that comfort zone and via free agency bring in some some new pieces, you know, not just doing everything through the draft like normal, you know. So it's going to be interesting, especially right, those. And Kevin Zeitler, that's another one, you know. So we'll, we'll it'll be interesting to see. We got plenty of time in that off season. I just thought about that though, like the direction of your franchise. How do you make a direction? Because one of the worst things, you know, I know this as a Browns fan. You've seen it from you know following the AFC North is just that when you bring a new coach in, they want to bring in all their new people. They want their own personnel. So that's going to be real interesting to see how the Bengals handle that. That is correct. That is correct. I'm, I'm pulling that uh, link up right now from Dayton Daily News just to look at some of the names. But yeah, you got you got keys on the uh, offensive line as uh, 
Whitworth and Kevin Zeitler. You know, those are those are key guys. And you know, what are they gonna? What do they want to do? You know, in free agency, are they gonna let these guys walk? Are they gonna bring them back or, or what? It's gonna be interesting. Brandon LaFell, he's a free agent. Carlos Dansby, seven out of the fourteen starters. 17, seven players out of those 14 are unrestricted free agents. And seven of them are starters out of those 14 unrestricted free agents, I should say. And you have the Matapeco, wide receiver Brandon LaFell, linebacker Carlos Dansby, the kicker Randy Bullock, and right guard Kevin Zeitler. And definitely Randy Bullock isn't going to be brought back. He's a ex-stealer. And after he missed that kick in Houston, he definitely won't be back, I don't believe. So they'll be they'll be looking for a new kicker kicker after they got rid of Nugent and Bullock is next because he he made it, missed the game winner. I'm looking something up real quick. You know what the Bengals cap room situation is going into 2017? It should be um, pretty still be pretty friendly, especially with these guys being unrestricted free agents. Oh. You can you can pull it up though. Uh, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, okay. This is with an Ohio bias a podcast for real. F- no. This is uh, I forget how I always start this one. With an Ohio bias, Polly presents the Seventy One South podcast featuring Garrett Staples, IMD, Cleveland born and raised, Buckeye born and bred, and we welcome in your host Garrett Staples. Uh, Garrett, how you feeling after that heartbreaking, almost kicking in the nuts loss to the Texans? Well, hello everybody from with No Ohio Bias. This is uh, I-71 South Podcast, and as you can see, it's just been the theme and the storyline through Cincinnati and, and bangled them all season long. Close, uh, hard-fought games, but just finding ways to lose games, you know, in crucial moments and losing your composure and, and not finishing games. So it's it's disheartening. It's uh, frustrating. You know, we, people are seeking answers from uh, management up higher with the owner Mike Brown and Katie Blackburn and, you know, question marks about, you know, is Marvin Lewis being going to retire? The uh, Washington Post and those things out there with the radio show of Chris Cooley out there in D.C., and he brought up that, uh, you know, that the rumor was that Marvin was going to go ahead and retire and that Paul Gunther was going to become the defensive coordinator out there with the Washington Redskins because he's very tight and has a great friendship and bond with Jay Gruden. So it's 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 a lot going on and it's a lot of turmoil within the uh, confines of Bangladesh, and it's just going to be interesting to see after this last game with the Ravens, which basically the Bengals and Ravens have nothing to play for after the Ravens lost that uh, key game for the division, the AFC North division up there in Pittsburgh last week. You know, both teams are not playing for anything, so you know what is going to happen in Cincinnati after this game Sunday. So it's going to be interesting. But I'm I'm ready to talk about it, and we're, we're going to get down to business. In this podcast, we're going to recap the Texans' loss. I mean, Texans, the Bengals' loss to the Texans, twelve to ten. Of course, talk about you know what's going to happen in the off season for the Bengals and moving forward. Uh, but we will look at that Bengals Ravens game and uh, get Garrett's prediction 
for what he thinks will be how the Bengals finish the season and also talk about how happy Garrett was with A.J. Green being shut down even though he loses that record. Uh, Garrett, though, you talked about the rumors of Marvin Lewis. Seems that your prediction on three podcasts ago was correct. Um, you got a lot of stuff going right. Uh, sadly to say, the Bengals aren't <laughs> taking your advice. But um, you said he had the last year. He's come out and said pretty much he has assurances from management. Um, well, let's look at it this way. Would Paul Gunther still leave with that rumor um, to the Reds, to, to Washington? Would he still leave if Marvin Lewis is a lame duck coach next year? Or would he be in line to possibly take over as a coach in waiting? I possibly could still see, even that with Marvin being the lame duck, lame duck coach for only having uh, one year left on his uh, contract going into 17, you still could see Paul Gunther reun- uh, reunited in Washington. And, you know, just for – even if it's just for a year – we have somebody on the coaching staff who was a linebacker's coach, a former head coach, and Jim Hazlitt. So if Gunther was to make that move to Washington, then you could see Jim Hazlitt, like pretty much what the Bengals do, they really like to promote from within. And you have a guy who's been a head coach before, so you can see Jim Hazlitt as the defensive coordinator to replace Paul Gunther in lieu of him going to Washington. That's interesting you say that, Paul uh, uh, Paul Gunther. Jim Hazlitt, Jim his Hazlitt. son, actually the interim coach for the Rams when Jeff Fisher got fired, and then the former Saints and Giants coach, uh, if I'm correct in thinking that's the Paul, that's the Jim Hazlitt there. Um, correct. The kicking game haunts the Bengals and the loss to the Texans. Your thoughts on true. how the Bengals let that one – I mean, it really wasn't their fault of letting that one get in the way. It just – you know, the Texans kicker made one more field goal than the Bengals did. Yeah, you know, uh, the Bengals, they waited about three or four games too late to cut Mike Nugent, and they bring in from uh, ex-kicker from Pittsburgh. Uh, yeah, can't stand uh, that, that team. But uh, they bring in a guy by the name of let me get Randy Bullock. Right. Randy Bullock, yes, Randy Bullock in – you know, it comes down to judgment time at the end of the game, and uh, you kick the game winner, you're a hero, and if you miss it, you're a zero. And he ended up being a big zero. So it looks like the just the special teams in the kicking game all season long has suffered, and it just looks like that they're going to have to actually go ahead either, which the Bengals are not known for, and go in free agency and bring in a kicker or – you're going to have to, you know, at least maybe a third or fourth rounder, you know, and the Bengals have a lot of stockpiled uh, draft picks. You're going to have to use that on a kicker because it's 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 been the difference in at least three games this season, three to four games uh, within their record where the kicking game, it, it, just, it just went to cahoots. And it's costed the Bengals severely. And when you have, when you have that less, how can I say it, when you don't have that win- that that window to play with, and you 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 don't have that margin for error, that large margin for error anymore, and it's been closed down with the losses of a Muhammad Jones, excuse me, Muhammad Sanu, and a Marvin Jones Jr. These are the issues that will follow, and you know the kicking game it becomes even so much more important in close games and tight games, and 
We just haven't been able to capitalize and finish within the kicking game. Absolutely. A lot of people, you know, football fans out there, we get so excited about the touchdowns, the interceptions, the sacks by the defense, and you only curse your kicker when he misses the kicks. So, you know, you never get mad at that kick that he makes. You might get mad at the coach for not going for it on a fourth and short or something, but as long as they're making those field goals in the first and second quarters, you're happy about it. Um, You talk about Randy Bullock um, possibly – uh, being out of a job now and Mike Nugent being out of a job. Kicker is one of the spots that the Bengals will be evaluating in offseason. Um, a lot of the articles that have been written, you know, prior to this game and then after that game uh, are about the 14 free agents that the Bengals will be evaluating, uh, seven of those starters. The Bengals are $40 million under the cap, so you you got the front office being as frugal as always, but – um, the Bengals got some hard decisions to make. You made you on the podcast before. You told us the names of the guys that should be getting evaluated. Even some of the younger guys um, that you're, you know, that are injured that we're waiting to see. Um, that that Bengals fans are waiting to see. How do the Bengals, with you know, once again the term that you know I use because it's just one of the ones from politics, a lame duck coach. If Marvin Lewis isn't going to be getting an extension next year. How do they move forward with free agency and then also a philosophy in the draft? You know, that's very – that's a tough thing, very difficult. But even if um, – which it really looks like, you know, they're just going to let Marvin Lewis play out the contract, let him play this last season out in 17 and uh, let let the team uh, part ways and Marvin and the team part ways. You still have a uh, Duke Tobin who is uh, – the man that handles player personnel and, and, you know, the draft and the scouting, the head of the draft and the scouting and uh, evaluations of uh, players. So, I mean, if you're looking at it like that, even with Marvin being gone, you still would think that you're still going to run a 4-3 defense. Um, As far as offensively, schematically speaking, you know, we pretty much run a – a pro a pro formation offense with a single back, you know, but I really think that could change. Now offensively speaking, schematically speaking, you know, there it's it's gonna be what Duke Tobin really sees really sees best because it really depends on, you know, after seventeen, what head coach are they gonna bring in? Are they gonna bring in the guy that wants to continue to run that pro formation offense? and runs a 4-3 defense, or is it? do they want to change totally up where you almost have to clean house to uh, realign to build a 3-4 defense where it's heavily heavily built on linebackers in a 3-4. And when you're talking uh, maybe a different offensive spread or something like that, more of a, a college-type offense that is brought into the NFL, kind of what um, the quick hit pass and those things or whatever, kind of what is ran in maybe in New England or, or up in Transylvania, Pittsburgh, where they run a a, uh, a spread offense where you're going to need more wide receivers, those things, or whatever. But whatever the case is being, the Bengals had major issues along the defensive line stopping the run. This is the most uh, rushing yardage they've given up in a, in a, a season in a long time since uh, Mike Zimmer has been gone and, and since Paul Gunther has been here. And then you had major protection issues. Uh, I think Andy Dalton this year alone was sacked more than he's been probably in the previous 
five years he's been in the league with since he inception coming in with the Bengals. So you have major issues along the offensive and defensive lines to revamp, not even to mention the, the secondary, which with free agency and flux, you can see a lot of these guys uh, not being brought back, like a Drake Kirkpatrick who's coming up on a um, unre- being an unrestricted free agent. I can see him being let go. Um, it's just uh, it's a lot of key pieces, a lot of key parts. And when you look at, like we were mentioning, seven of the 14, here are some of the names I'm just going to run off to you. Andrew Whitworth, a stalwart at left tackle. Drake Kirkpatrick, I mentioned, that defensive back. Demata Pico, which he should be let go, and, and Andrew Billings, who's coming off the knee injury, they're gonna, um, you know, bring him back slow. So they'll probably have to de- draft another nose tackle to help replace uh, Pico because it's it's just time. The guy's been here for a long time, double digit seasons, and uh, his prime has passed. Then you even have a guy we brought in from New England, uh, wide receiver Brandon LaFell. You know, does he want to stay here or does he want to go back to New England, you know, the way the season ended? Even though LaFell here, he's got a a starting role and he did play well. And then I think uh, a guy we brought up here from – brought down here from uh, Cleveland, uh, Carlos Dansby. He had a so-so – so-so year at linebacker, but I don't believe he'll be brought back. And then you have a key guy at, at right guard, from Wisconsin, uh, Kevin Zeitler, you know, are you going to bring him back? You know, he had some struggles here and there. So it's, it's really going to be interesting because you have a lot of a lot of starters who are unrestricted free agents. And then just like you said, the philosophy, of who's going to be the next head coach, who's going to be the next offensive, defensive coordinator, and, and what scheme they want to go with. So it's it's hard to say. It's hard to gauge, but I think with Duke Tobin being here, they're going to want to try to find a, a defensive coordinator that still wants to run the 4-3, and they're still going to want to have a, a guy who uh, runs a little bit of a West Coast-slash-pro formation-type offense that is geared to Andy Dalton, unless you want to go ahead and try to trade Dalton with the new head coach, which normally new head coaches want to do. They want to get rid of that quarterback or whatever in favor of their own guy? Or do you want to go the role with A.J. McCarron? He's, uh, he'll be coming up soon off of his rookie deal. Do you want to make him the starter? And, uh, you know, you can go a cheaper route and sign him to a cheaper deal and, and let Dalton roll. So it's it's an influx of different, different things, uh, a lot of interchangeable parts that are going different ways that – it's it's just it's just hard to put a whole read on it and what the whole management is thinking in Cincinnati. Well, like we always say on the podcast, well, well, we'll definitely be covering that as we move forward with the off season podcast and trying to keep up with the movement. Um, one player that's not moving, and I think you're happy about this, AJ Green was kept out of that Texas game uh, against his better wishes. The doctors did not clear him, and then he will not be playing against the Ravens in the finals game. In the final game, your thoughts on that? It's a way of handling business, and the Bengals, they failed on this one from management on down. And if you got, got a guy 
and you know there's basically the Bengals are not in playoff contention. They haven't been since about two weeks now, and you already knew that. And A.J., you know, he really, his hamstring has not healed 100%, and you never want to run the risk of, especially with a wide receiver and the likes of A.J. Green, you never want him to tear that, and then that's that's serious if you tear the hamstring muscle. And right now it was just like a strain, but he needs he needed rest. And the way you should have handled that is you shouldn't have let AJ practice all week, and then bring him to the game, and then tell him in Houston to not suit up. Here you have a guy, you know, not to bring in personal, but you know has a brand new child. You have Christmas right here. You know, what you should have did is just not even had him fly to Houston and just let him uh, go back to South Carolina where he's from with his wife and his family and, and have an extra, you know, extended long weekend to enjoy Christmas and the holidays. But you shouldn't have a guy come out there all the way for a away game in Houston, fly out there, and then not play him. You know, and, you know, for A.J. Green, he's one of the only wide receivers who's had a 1,000-yard receiver since he came into the league, kind of as Randy Moss did. So he wanted to keep that record going, and he, I believe he was only short maybe 45 to 46 yards. So, I mean, it was a combination of ways. You could have either handled it where you let him get out there, he gets his 46 yards, and then you shut him down for the rest of the season. Or you played it safe, which I, I really felt they should have done, is, uh, you know, not played him. But it was a different way of handling that. And just that's basically not letting him practice at all if you knew the hamstring wasn't 100%. You know, there, there's no reason to, to play with the guy and, and say it's a game-time decision. The Bengals aren't playing for anything right now. And they've already shut down other key guys like left guard Clint Bowling. You have a guy like uh, Montez Burford. They've already said they're shutting him down. Brandon Thompson, they've already put him on injured reserve. So guys like that, if you got key vets that you've already put down for the rest of the season, why would you play with your star, your key wide receiver, and do those things? So it was just handled the wrong way. All right. Garrett, we need some positives here. Um, we talked about the evaluations of players. Give us one guy on offense, one guy on defense that you think will definitely maybe be signed as a free agent or can make an impact for the Bengals next year uh, as you look at this matchup with the Ravens. Um, a key guy is uh, a draft pick, uh, Tyler Boyd. I look for him to have a great game. He's been getting better as the relationship and the chemistry has developed between Andy Dalton. And another guy on offense, you know, since Giovanni Bernard has went down, uh, he stepped into that role and flourished when you speak of a Rex Burkhead. And unfortunately, he's an unrestricted free agent this season. And even though Gio is coming off of ACL, and who knows if he'll be ready for the start of season night or, or not, it would be a great insurance policy to be, to be able to re-sign Rex Burkhead. But will that happen? We don't know. And I'm thinking, you know, if personally, if I'm Rex Burkhead, I'm thinking to myself, hey, man, I, I showed out the, the last four or five to six games of the season since Gio's been out, and I, I really can, with the film I I put on tape, you know, I can start somewhere else. So I'm, I'm hoping that they can re-sign Rex Burkhead, but he may or may not, you know, still be here in Cincinnati being an unrestricted free agent. 
being able to go where he wants to go. But I look for Tyler Boyd to to do good things. And uh, another guy they've shut down is uh, Tyler Eifert, you know, when we're talking vets. And then defensively speaking, uh, guys I look forward to watching. I like the linebacker uh, Nick Vigil. Um, and there's another another uh, safety out of Illinois. He's played um, a lot of special teams. I believe it's Fujitum or Fuji. I don't, I don't know specifically how to how to pronounce that, but uh, he's a he's a nice safety to, to to look for. And Josh Shaw, he's been up and down. So how will Josh Shaw do? Because he's going to have ex- every opportunity next season to probably start with the guys like uh, a Drake or Patrick being gone. Um, another high draft pick the Bengals had defensively at defensive back who seems he's been like a bust. Uh, they tried to work him in slowly, but it's it's been a struggle for him to stay stay healthy and on the field as a dark way as Denard. So I look for two DBs to be be gone after the end of this year. So it's go, it's really going to be interesting, even though I think Denard's contract is not up yet. But that following season, he could be going too with Drake or Patrick. So it's really going to be interesting how the the secondary is revamped and just. Unfortunately, you know, we spent a high draft pick, the first rounder on William Jackson the third, and you didn't get to see uh, one game of him because of the torn pectoral muscle. But he looks to be uh, a starting uh, centerpiece at cornerback going into next year. Well, it'll be like you got, you know, two first-round draft picks with him and Billings coming in combined with the draft pick the Bengals have this year. So you, you almost – you know, you'll get an infusion of talent, at least with those two players that were hurt for all season. Let's get to the game prediction. What do you got for the Bengals-Ravens, the game that doesn't mean anything? Both teams aren't playing for much. It's just a respect thing. And, you know, a lot of these younger guys who are going to get opportunities to play, like I said, with a Clint Bowling being shut down, Jake Fisher will be stepping in. Um, you know, I, I doubt if Whitworth, he may not even play this game. So a boy, he will probably get in back in there. So you got some guys who are going to get a opportunity, but I just think with the, the struggles, the offensive line has had with the Bengals and you take that in consideration when you're facing one of the number one defenses, the number one defense in the NFL, uh, maybe they dropped down after the Pittsburgh game, but the Baltimore Ravens are probably number two. So I, I just look for that, that struggle to continue for the Bengals. And unfortunately, I'm looking at maybe a uh, a 17-10 outcome with the Ravens on top of the Bengals, just, just over the struggles I've watched against Houston where offensively it was just just lethargic, just to see – the the generation of of total offensive yards it, it was it was just lethargic the first half and they really didn't get anything to the uh, second half and a, a lot of lackluster as far as a lot has been desired of of, of uh, Ken Zampezi the offensive coordinator's play calling you know and just against against uh, uh, Pittsburgh when they were they were leading in the first half and then in the second half. You know, you go from first half, you go from throwing early on first and second down to the second half, you get conservative because you get the lead and you start getting happy and you play conservative and playing close to the vest. 
and running on first and second down and just hoping for the best on third down, throwing the ball. And these are the things that have, have been plagued, plagued the Bengals all season long. And you can just really see the departure of Hugh Jackson in the offensive play calling is truly missed. So, I, unfortunately, I'm just have to be realistic on this one. I just have a feeling that the Ravens will uh, beat the Bengals in this uh, season finale. All right, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. We will be back next week with a Bengals season wrap-up. And, you know, maybe the Bengals find the inspiration to finish their season with a win, and everybody's looking forward to 2017. Garrett Staples, take us out. Hey, it's good talking uh, the I-71 South podcast. Great talking to Bengaldom. Hopefully uh, my prediction is wrong. I'm always pro-Bengals and uh, anti-Baltimore and Pittsburgh. And just hopefully we can can end on a positive note and and just get a great evaluation on these younger players that are going to get an opportunity to play and and put their play on film and and just see what these guys are made of and and if they can start next year, you know, and and play in a starting role or does the Bengals need to go ahead and and draft guys, you know, to – to fill in these key positions with unrestricted free agents who are getting ready to leave. So it's it's going to be interesting, but it's it's always a positive. It's always fun to see, you know, football, even though it's the last of the regular season with the Bengals being knocked out of uh, playoff contention. But it's always uh, fun to watch a great game in the jungle, as always. Who they? Right, let me add something in here real quick. All right, don't forget, you can always give us a like on Facebook with an Ohio Bias. Uh, follow us on Twitter at with an Ohio Bias. You can follow Garrett Staples at Ohio Player 80. Uh, send us any questions, comments. If you hate the podcast, let us know. Uh, you know, those, those likes and those retweets are free, ladies and gentlemen, so go ahead and use them. All right, this is the big one. So we'll start with LSU, and then uh, all it is is those New Year's Eve Day games. So, Okay. And then we'll get to the college football playoff at the end. It's pro-Buckeye, so that's what basically, you know what I mean? I'm going to be hitting it in all those Buckeye groups too. So um, okay. I just want to get a little bit on these bowl games, a couple of topics okay. that I did. So. Okay. This is with an Ohio bias, a podcast for real fans with D and Jake. The tenth unit report, college football playoff special. I am D, Cleveland born and raised, Buckeye born and bred, and no Jake this week, folks. But we got Garrett Staples stepping into the big chair. Garrett, say hello to the good people. Hello, everyone, and we getting ready to talk a little bit of these college football uh, bowl games. Been very competitive, great games, and just going to give you some of the keys to all the games and uh, give you some some great coverage. In this podcast, we're, of course, going to break down the big New Year's Eve matchups uh, between Washington and Alabama and, of course, your Ohio State Buckeyes taking on Clemson in the Fiesta Bowl. But we we had a little audio technical problems with uh, our bowl game special, so we missed a couple games on there. So me and Garrett are just going to hit a couple of those real quick, and then we'll get into talking about the Buckeyes, which you really want to hear. Uh, Garrett, real quick, I just want to start with – I don't know if you watched the full game or not, but I know you've probably seen the moment. Uh, Bill Snyder, and uh, well, first of all, the SEC is taking a bath in these bowl games, but Bill Snyder and the Kansas State Wildcats uh, beat Texas A&M, and, it, and somebody is real smart 
at least with that Kansas State Wildcats team, um, Bill Snyder with his age, 77, probably doesn't need to be getting a cold Gatorade bath. So they filled the Gatorade tub with confetti and hit it, and it made for a great picture for the victory for the K-State Wildcats. Outstanding, and uh, Bill Snyder has had a great career at K-State. And that's that's a fitting way to go out, and that's just just a class act, class act, quality quality head coach, and uh, you just it's just great to see that in college football. That's what the sport is all about, and what the way it should be promoted. Absolutely, we're going to start with the Buffalo Wild Wings Citrus Bowl in the Camping World Stadium in Orlando, Florida, better known as the Citrus Bowl uh, Stadium, but you know naming rights. LSU takes on Louisville. The Heisman Trophy winner, Lamar Jackson, and the Cardinals take on the Tigers. Garrett, what are you thinking with this one? Interesting. Um, you know, you have two teams that you really thought were going to be in the college, maybe possibly in the college football playoff or in a bigger bowl game. But it should, should still be exciting. Uh, you know, when it comes to LSU, the first thing you think of the headliner is Leonard Fournette and with the NFL combine coming up and, and him feeling that this isn't a very important game and he doesn't want to risk his his NFL uh, days, you know, that are ahead of him, he's sitting this game out for net. So that, that's the heartbeat of their offense to me. And, you know, the LSU struggles in the pass, passing game is really going to be highlighted now. So I look at this, and then I just have to look at the Heisman Trophy winner, Lamar Jackson. So, I'm, of course, I've got to I've got to pick Louisville here. I just don't see, even with LSU having the great defense that they do have, you know, you can't keep a defense on the field all game long, and that's what's going to happen where LSU will wear out because they have the studs, they have the athletes, but they have nothing offensively that impresses me. So I just have to take Louisville in this game. I agree with you on that one. The real key to me, and the, well, the real question that I've had about the Heisman Trophy winner all season, and he's proved it, was his durability. I thought he was a little slight of frame, but he's taking the hits. You know, Beckwith and those linebackers for LSU and that front four will be coming after him, but he's shown and proved that even if you get physical with him, he's going to keep coming after you. It's almost like Jason in the Friday movie. So, uh, Geis will be replacing uh, Fournette, like you said, but um, LSU can't pass the ball. It's been the same problem for the last 10 years down there. They found a way to win sometimes, but I don't think they win this one uh, early, 11 a.m. start uh, on Saturday. So uh, Cardinals no. will roll, considering all the controversy going on with the Wake Forest stuff too. Bobby Petrino will find a way to get that team winning. Correct. We look at the tax – oh, no, not that one. Give me – we're going to move to Monday real quick. Uh January 2nd, because of the Sunday NFL games, the Outback Bowl. Florida Gators take on the Iowa Hawkeyes. Ladies and gentlemen, no matter who wins this game, you win. If Florida wins, you get a free Blooming Onion from Outback, and if Iowa wins, you get a free appetizer of crunchy shrimp. Garrett, what are you thinking with this one? When you're talking Florida and Iowa, it should be a pretty good matchup. Uh, both teams are very solid defensively. My only issue is is Florida and they're just their their issues with generating offense. It's, it's it's a major issue. Unless they get a short field, they just have problems generating offense. So I'm I'm kinda 
I'm a little torn here, but I'm I'm just going to have to go with Kirk Ferentz and 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 Iowa and C.J. Beathard, and I just think that Iowa overall is a better team, and they they they've got a better a better scheme offensively, you know, to to win. That's just that's just the way I see it. Yeah, these two teams are like mirror images. It's going to be like watching a guy a boxer shadow box himself. Um, if you watch this game, uh, you talk about generating offense. They do have one guy. Both of our, our our hometown is Cleveland, and that's his name for the Florida Gators. The receiver has been, you know, their one big play guy uh, this season. Uh, Austin Appleby. This, yeah, Austin Appleby as well. That mm-hmm. This is going to be a matchup where if you like seeing, you know, the trenches and all that kind of stuff, this is the game for you. Um, you're going to also want to know the outcome so you know what appetizer to order at Outback with your meal. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think Iowa, the Big Ten has shown and proved, even with Indiana losing that game, they still are proving that they are really the best conference this season, uh, even some of these teams that um, didn't you know, finish the record the way they wanted to. And we know Iowa took the team up north out at home, so I think they can definitely get by Florida. Definitely, definitely. I, I definitely agree. And Iowa, offensively, they're they're a little bit more sound than uh, Florida. But like you said, it will definitely be a defensive struggle. If you're looking for a, a, a points game or a shootout, this is the wrong game for you. If you if you love a defensive struggle, uh, defensive grudge match, this is definitely the game that you want to watch. All right, and then that game's on at 1 o'clock at the same time as the Cotton Bowl. Western Michigan Broncos rowing the boat all the way to AT&T Stadium, Jerry's World, to take on the Wisconsin Badgers. Interesting game, interesting game. Uh, you have some some guys, uh, I was just looking over this game, and they're, they're dubbing them the triplets like they were uh, in Dallas. You have for Western Michigan quarterback Zach Terrell, Wide receiver Corey uh, Davis. Powers, Pavis, and uh, then you you even have uh, a guy by the name of JJ Watt uh, and his brother or, or cousin. It looks like they are related, TJ Watt. So with that being said, it's, it's going to be very interesting, and and I'm very impressed with Wisconsin and their defense all season long. I mean, they made it. I mean, it was a barn burner for Ohio State to beat Wisconsin. So I'm very impressed with with Wisconsin defensively. Uh, I like their running back Corey Clement, and uh, Horny Brook is has been a been quarterback a little bit shaky, but <sighs> I, I just I just really think that in the trenches, Wisconsin will be able to beat Western Michigan. You know when it when it comes to the offensive and defensive lines because that's that's what Wisconsin is they're built strong for through the middle and that's how you play the game of football. So even though I, I like Western Michigan offensively, I think Wisconsin defensively can shut them down. So I'm gonna have to take Wisconsin in this one. Yeah, you think Wisconsin the Badgers will be able to wear them down with those 300 pounders on the offensive line, and then you know like you said, T.J. Watt. J.J. Watt's little brother in that linebacking core that's been a phenomenal this year. The only thing that was exposed with Wisconsin was that Big Ten championship game and that secondary. So if Corey Davis, the receiver that you mentioned for the Broncos, can put the team on his back, though, like Greg Jennings, uh, the Western Michigan uh, P.J. Fleckers have a good chance to upset the Badgers. But Paul Chris, like you said, in the Buckeye game had a, a – dynamite game plan, and the guys had a month to get ready for Western Michigan. I think the Badgers win this one easily. Okay. 
Okay, I, I can I, yeah, I can see that. I can see that, but I think it's going to be a little bit closer because I think Western Michigan is one of those teams that, you know, your your bigger schools, your D1, big-time Power 5 schools, don't really get to see as much. And, uh, you know, they kind of remind me a little bit maybe uh, – I'm, maybe I'm giving them too much credit of a Boise State and these kinds of games and bowl games, when you haven't seen them, they they will bring out some trick plays here and there or whatever. So I think the game will be a little bit closer, but I still see Wisconsin coming out on top. All right, we get to the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl. The Pac-12 always against the Big Ten. Uh, the USC Trojans take on the nine straight winners, Big Ten champions team we from are Unhappy Penn Valley, State. Penn State. Yeah, yeah, we are Penn State. Um, Interesting game. Interesting game. Um, I, I I really don't know how Penn State has done this all year defensively. They're they're well. They're they're pretty sound. But the offensive line is what's really stepped up for Penn State and USC. You know, being there on the West Coast, and normally they're the standards of the Pac-12 USC, which has not been the case. It's actually been uh, Washington this season, which is interesting. But USC has gotten hot, I say, about mid-season. After that, you know, they took that shellacking from Alabama. USC did, but towards the middle of the season, they really picked up momentum. So this should be a great game and the granddaddy of them all. And you have key running back like Saquon Barkley's been impressive all all season long, all season long. And then you have a guy like uh, Andrew Jackson for USC. And uh, it'll be interesting, but I think, you know, USC, the one thing that they have so much talent, offensive line and defensive line. So this is a tough one. I'm I'm, I'm on the edge on this one, but I kind of like want to lean to USC in this one. Yeah, I mean, I I think, you know, the best player on the field will be Saquon Barkley if he's you know, back to 100%. Um, I don't trust McSurley, and I don't trust James Franklin as a coach. But they've proved me wrong all this season. Um, you talked about their defense. They weren't healthy through the middle part of that pack. I mean, they had, they were missing something like six starters at one point. Um, they finally have gotten healthy, and you know that month helps. But this is a home game for USC. I mean, <laughs> they played Basically. in the Rose Bowl. <laughs> for Basically. They practiced yeah. in the Rose Bowl. I mean, like, yeah. Um, I think this is going to be a tough one. You know, you know the the white and bluers will be out. You know because this is the first time that they've played in a meaningful bowl game in the last ten years. Uh, but yeah, I agree with your assessment. I think the Trojans just find a way. Even though the Trojans, I mean, they struggled in Pac-12 play in a down Pac-12. Uh, their one signature win was against the team in the college football playoff, the Washington Huskies. But um, yeah, I I think the home field advantage um, and you know the the guys you know making that trip out to the West Coast from the Big Ten might not be ready for the big lights in the Rose Bowl. That is true. I, I I totally agree with you. I think it'll be a great game, but I just think, you know, Penn State, they kind of get their slow starting team, and you, I don't think you can afford to get down on the road and just being in that environment that Penn State hasn't been on that platform in a while. You know, I think that'll get the better of them. Exactly. All of their wins, you know, their last three wins were by comebacks after they were um, at a deficit at halftime. So, but let's put the powdered sugar on the beignets and go to New Orleans for the Sugar Bowl. The Auburn Tigers take on the controversial Oklahoma Sooners. 
I just, um, you know, you have the running back pet wave for um, for Auburn, and then you have, uh, you know, with Oklahoma where the you had the Buckeyes that went out to Norman and and played a, a great Sooners team with Baker Mayfield at the at the helm, and I just think Auburn offensively, you know, Auburn in general, they're going to have great athletes, you know, down there in the SEC. But uh, Bob Stoops recruits nationally as well and, and recruits great. And I just think the, the difference is uh, is your signal caller for uh, Oklahoma. Baker Mayfield is a, is a gunslinger, a uh, big-game quarterback, and I, I just don't see any reason not to take the Sooners in this one. And then you also have the running back, uh, P.J. Uh, – I'm trying to think. Tomorrow, Ryan, P. Ryan. Demaje Pien Ryan, excuse me, Demaje Pien Ryan. He's he's pretty impressive, and they have a uh, they have a dual tailback system where I, I just see the Sooners coming up on top on this one. Too much for Auburn. I think that's the real key, and the real problem for Auburn. Sean White got hurt, their quarterback, which he wasn't you know lighting the world on fire, but um, they got to go back to Jeremy Johnson and. He's going to find a way to throw them out of that game. Their defense has improved. Will Muschamp had helped recruit down there. So those guys are actually, they've played well this season. But, yeah, D.D. Westbrook and Baker Mayfield, like you said, and that offense is going to be too much for them. And Oklahoma is going to be trying to prove something with all the distraction from the mixing uh, controversy. So That's correct. Uh, all right. I totally agree. Let's get, let's get to the games that everybody dun, really dun, cares dun, about. Dun, uh, dun, the dun, college dun, football dun, Final Four. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, the college football playoff. Let's talk about it. I guess we we'll got, start off. We'll start off with the the three thirty. Absolutely, we're going to start with uh, the Washington Huskies going in to a home game. I mean, going into a hostile environment, the Peach Bowl, also known as the home of the SEC championship, also known as Alabama East. Uh, they take on the Alabama Crimson Tide in Atlanta, Georgia. That is correct in the Georgia Dome, and I think this is this is a it's a tall order for Washington, you know, to come into in the SEC country, basically SEC East country uh, in the Georgia Dome to play Alabama, where they're quite familiar with these confines. And I think the key is is you know. You, for Washington, you've got to start fast. You can't get down early because if they get down early, it's just going to have a snowball effect and they'll get blown out. So my keys to this game is uh, Jake Browning. And I really think the country, they're really going to get to see. Uh, it's, a, it's an impressive nose tackle for uh, Washington. But the defensive line is impressive for for uh, Washington, I just don't know what how much depth they have. And then the main issue is going to be with that vaunted defensive line that Alabama possesses. Can they uh, handle physically up front the Washington's offensive line? Can they handle Alabama's defensive line? That's going to be the key to this game to me. And just how composed and how well Jake Browning can play. Because, you know, I look at Alabama with their offense uh, offensively when you're talking about what is this, uh, Jalen Hurts, this uh, freshman? I, the, the, one, the one thing I, I, I say is, you know, with this guy, he hasn't been asked to do too much, and if he gets in trouble, you know, make a read. If it's not there, 
you bring the ball down, tuck it, and run. So the key is keeping contain on Jalen Hurts, making him play from the pocket, read some coverage, and hopefully make him, you know, force him to make a couple of mistakes, throw a couple of interceptions. He's, he's done it during the season where he makes a couple of, you know, mistakes, key turnovers when he has to sit in the pocket and be a traditional pocket passer. So that's the key for Washington. So it, it, to me it really comes down to if Washington can take a lead and, uh, you know, make Bama play from behind. But if Bama gets on top early, it, it, it could be a snowball effect. So, you know, as a betting man, a sporting man, you have to take Alabama in this game. But it's going to be interesting to see. Whenever you have a West Coast team, Pac-12, they normally like to spread things out and they play fast and they throw the deep ball. And that's the one weakness, I think, with all Alabama teams is you've got to spread them out and uh, their secondary struggles. So that's the key. You know, you mentioned two things. One, earlier in this podcast, you talked about Boise State being prepared. Uh, we know Nick Saban's one of the great coaches of our time, but Chris Peterson's up there. He's not in Nick Saban's territory, but the guy's knocking on the door with those wins that Boise State had in the um, old BCS bowl game systems. Now he's brought this Washington team from uh, an eight-win season to being in the college football playoff within two years. They've done that with defense, and they've done that with, you know, the guys that you mentioned on offense. My key to the game is having that offense be balanced. they got to run the ball with Miles Gaskin, and Dave Browning's got to get the third down throws when they have to. Make Alabama defend the whole field, not just become one-dimensional where Alabama could then tee off on Browning or, you know, they're just stacking up against the run because you're afraid to throw interceptions. you gotta, you got to spread them out, you know, make them think you're passing when you're running and vice versa. And then, you know, they've got to have long drives. You know, use that clock against Alabama. Tire that defense out, which we saw that happen, you know, um, two years ago by the Ohio State Buckeyes. But even against LSU this year, we saw Alabama wear down a little bit, and then they got something going, which I'm going to talk about here in a second. They got their special teams going, which helped them. And I think that's the real key for Alabama as we flip the coin. We know Jalen Hurts will be running the ball if I asked you to name Alabama's running back, could you, Garrett? No, I, I really, I really couldn't. I've, although, I, you know, I'm a, I, I look at recruiting, I follow it a little bit, and I do know one of their backs is uh, the number one back out of uh, the state of Kentucky, and UK was recruiting him hard, and Ohio State was recruiting him hard, and his name is Damian Harris. So that's the one back I can name for Alabama. Well, Hertz is the one back that does all the work, and he's the quarterback, you know, with that's his correct. legs. And that, that's my big thing. Alabama, you know, they'll try to take their chances, you know, over the top, but they're going against a secondary with some guys going to the NFL with Buda Baker um, as a safety, you know, on a Husky defense. So I think, you know, the defense can make some plays against Alabama. The real key to this game, can Washington be sound in the special teams game? Alabama finds a way to score, you know, with special teams or with a defensive touchdown almost Correct. every game, and that's the real key for them turning it over. We know Tim Williams, Ruben Foster, those guys are going to the NFL. Half of Alabama's defense and offensive line is going to the NFL. We know that. But Washington, you know, if they, if they you know, play kind of keep away on offense and then 
I don't know if they can get a true lead, but even if they get a field goal, like you said, make that Alabama, you know, offense press. And I think, you know, then they're playing with emotion and they're not playing under control the way Nick Saban wants them to. And, uh, you know, we know that uh, Lane Kiffin says he doesn't remember any happy times. He just remembers the ass chewings. I mean, how about one more ass chewing on the way out when the Huskies, you know, upset Alabama? That is correct. Um, you know, I, I really look for I really look for um this this head school what's his name? Chris Peterson again? Yes. Yes, I look I look for him to he's one of those guys that you remember if you remember him at, at uh Boise in these big games, these bowl games, he pulls out all the, the stops. And uh I just look for them for Washington the key to this game is you need to kinda stay in the league. And you have to have that that mixture of of run to pass, pass to run. You have to almost be fifty fifty to to keep Alabama on their heels, and, you know. And and the key to me in this game is just up front physically. Can Washington's offensive line can they block this Alabama vaunted defensive line? And that's the key to me. If they can do that then they can go ahead and, you know, spread them out and really attack that secondary, which I think is a weakness for Alabama. Their front seven is very stout, but I think, you know, with guys, whenever you talk about having those big tree stumps on the defensive line, that can really stop the run, but they really don't pass rush as well, even though they've gotten some better defensive ends this season. You know, you got to go ahead and 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 get to the perimeter and, and spread them out and throw in the in the the flanks or whatever and, and just just get them playing in in space and try to make uh, Alabama's defense make some mistakes and you know when they over pursue, you know, just execute and, and run some misdirection plays or whatever for a defense that is over pursuing it and make sure your screen game is uh, well because you're gonna have that defensive line crashing in. And when they crash in like that, you got to attack the perimeter and, and hit them with the wide receiver slants and the screen games or whatever to, uh, you know, to counter that. So it's, it's just going to be an interesting test match between Saban defensively and Peterson offensively, which is a great offensive mind. So I, I look forward to the matchup. But it, it's a possible upset game because Alabama really doesn't see this kind of style of offense and that's always uh, a savings Achilles heel for his defense is, is more of a spread out uh, gunslinging type offense. He, he struggles with that. Now, when you try to match Alabama, you know, physically and you're just going to try to run it down their throat or whatever, it's going to be an issue. It's going to be a problem. That was, you know, just like when before the playoffs were uh, set out, I, was, I really wanted to almost see that team up north actually play Alabama just to see a uh, uh, power game versus power game, you know, could could that team up north out Alabama and play a power game with them and, and straight power running and that kind of stuff or whatever with play action passing. But I think this is an even more interesting matchup with Washington because, like I said, those West Coast teams, they like to throw the ball downfield, and that is a Achilles heel of uh, Alabama's defense. So I could see a possible upset to answer your question. Yeah, you just hope the moment, you know, we talked about it with some other teams. You just hope the moment isn't too big for the Huskies. But, um, and I kind of joked about it in the intro with it being a home game for Alabama uh, at, at the Georgia Dome. Georgia Dome. At, yeah, at the Georgia Dome. At the Georgia you know, Dome, correct. Yeah, it, you know, you just hope that 
the lights don't bother the Huskies and they can keep it close. And if they do get a lead, woof, you'll exactly. see Alabama. You'll, you'll see Roll Tide Nation going crazy on Twitter. Let's get exactly. to the game that we really care about, Garrett. The Ohio State Buckeyes take on the Clemson Tigers in the Fiesta Bowl. I think we know why, you know, they made that Alabama versus Washington game, uh, Washington at Alabama, the 330 game, because, you know, it, when you look at the playoffs and just looking a couple years back, you know, when they, you had that Florida State and Oregon game, they made that the early game because you, you kind of felt like it could be an upset or 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 it could go one, be very one-sided and a blowout. And I think that's why they did that with that game where it could be a blowout by Alabama. But in this key matchup where you had the Buckeyes facing off in, uh, in Arizona against Clemson, these teams are very evenly matched. So you're looking at a close game. And when it comes down to in the trenches with your offensive and defensive line, these teams are are pretty evenly matched. That I really think the key is, and I really think, you know, just like you said, Nick Saban is a, a master preparer and motivator and, and, and a guy who has his team prepared when you give him a month to just prepare for one team. Urban Meyer is that same kind of guy, and he, he has that, that psych test, and I'm not sure who the cornerback is for uh, defensive back is for Clemson, but when you have Urban Meyer, who's a, a UC psych major, also he's going to psychologically have his team ready and prepared, and use that as bulletin board material as far as the shot taking that JT Barrett, as far as uh, he's a, he's an average quarterback, and we've seen better during the uh, season. But I do think uh, protection is, is going to be the key for the Buckeyes. You have uh, Jamarco Jones, I believe, at left tackle, and Isaiah Prince at right tackle, where uh, he's, a, he's a Maryland guy that I, you know, I used to live in that area, and he was highly recruited out there, and he has really struggled. So is Urban Meyer going to go ahead, and is he going to make a move with the freshman? Uh, Isaiah Prince, are they, going to, are they going to sub him out for a different right tackle? Or are they going to keep him in and do a lot more chipping with a tight end and a running back, you know, to help out to keep JT upright? Because that's the key to me is when JT is not feeling the pressure, he throws better, you know, within the pocket. He's not one of those quarterbacks who does as well with the uh, pressure. So that's the key is is just protection. And then you, you look at the Buckeyes defense, I feel – that you can go ahead and you can turn – Deshaun Watson will throw an interception if you pressure him. If you get pressure on him, he will make some mistakes. So it just depends to me to which team doesn't turn over the ball the most and doesn't make those, those key turnovers and crucial moments in the game. But I do see the Buckeyes in a close, hard-fought game on offensively and defensively. All three phases are going to have to be played well. I see them pulling this out in a game where you're talking, you're talking a struggle where I see a, a, a 24-17 or even a 21-17 Buckeyes win. Well, Isaiah Princeton, Urban Meyer said he's going to stick with them. Everybody was excited because Malcolm Pridgett lost his black stripe, and they thought the JUCO was going to get a chance to come in, but he had a little setback physically, so he won't be even active for the bowl game. Um, so all eyes are going to be on Isaiah Prince, uh, and rightfully so. Um, but 
I mean, one of the things after the game, after the after the game, that I was just one of the comments Urban Meyer talked about how nobody works harder than Prince, you know, all week long and whatnot. So he's had a month to work hard. All we need is two hours on New Year's Eve night of this guy staying in front of somebody. I don't care if he's pancaking people like Orlando Face, but we need him just to stay in front of somebody because that was a huge problem with Taco Charlton and those guys, uh, you know, that wear the maize and blue. Um, my real key to this game is special teams. You know, maybe we see McCall back there. They've got to, you know, maybe we see more Curtis Samuel. We've got to get more out of the special team return game, and we've got to be able to put the ball through the uprights. That's you, Tyler, Taylor Durbin. Um, when it comes to, you know, the offensive and defensive lines, uh, we talked about Isaiah Prince. The defensive line, I'm excited about this because I think this is going to be a Buckeye. This is going to be a game almost like the game against the team up north where the names that you don't know will play large for the Buckeyes. You talked about, um, you know, some of the guys on that defensive line pinning their ears back and creating pressure for Watson. Well, I think, you know, the freshman who got the the, uh, fumble on Spate, um, Devon Hamilton will loom large in this game. You'll see Sam Hubbard and Ty Conn Lewis and Jalen Holmes and whatnot, but Robert Landers, yes. Devon Hamilton, those are the guys that I think are going to make an impact. And then one name, of course, you do know, Nick Bosa Jr. This guy yes. has finally got to be 100% healthy with the month off leading up to the bowl game. So he is unblockable, just like his brother who is playing, uh, had, you know, 10 and a half sacks this year for the San Diego Chargers. Yes. He was struggling all year with a knee injury. That's why you didn't see him playing in a full rotation of a series of downs. That's why you've seen him coming in and out of the game so much. Um, I just, I really like the chances. Uh, you know, we know Mike Williams and that receiving core for Clemson is going to be challenging Lattimore Conley and whatnot. But Malik Hooker is so good back there making plays. Um, when I look at the Clemson offense, I think they have a tendency to get away from running the ball. If they have over 100 yards running, not from Deshaun Watson, but from Wayne Gallman, then I think the Buckeyes have a little bit of a problem. But if the Buckeyes right. can keep that run defense like it was closer to the beginning of the year um, when they were shutting teams down, um, and also Nebraska, in those games where they rolled up 60 points on people, I think they can be very successful and they can make Clemson, you know, have to put the load more on Watson. Like you said, he'll he's prone to throw an interception. And the defense of Clemson, yes, they are a little stout up front, but that secondary is, leaves plays to be made. And that comes to JT Barrett, who you, you made reference to the comments by the Clemson linebacker. All I know is every time somebody talks bad about Ohio State, they come out with a great performance. So I'm hoping for that as well. Um, JT Barrett has to get somebody to catch the ball. And, I'm you know, we know yeah. Noah Brown can do it. We know Marcus Ball, but we need the other fast guys. McLaren, you know, Austin KJ Mack, Victor. Hill. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, K.J. Hill, uh, Johnny Paris Dixon. Paris Campbell. Yeah. Paris Campbell. Paris Campbell. Paris Campbell, we got to get him some gloves with some stick because I don't know. But somebody's got to just catch the ball. I mean, so exactly. I know they've been working on this stuff for months. I'm excited. It sucks like you were you – were, yeah, you're talking about, you know, for the ratings and everything, they put this game last. Well, that means we got to wait all day. And it was an eternity the last two years waiting for that night game, you know, <laughs> on New Year's Eve. It felt like you were, you know, waiting for their last rights and going to the chair. But um, the excitement is there. I agree with you. I think the Buckeyes can win this game. And, you know, you, you give the urge to Urban Meyer – you know, you talked about the psychological evaluation. Well, here's one thing that, you know, you don't got to be a psych major. and You didn't have to get a degree from UC to know. Uh -huh. Revenge is a dish 
best serve Cole. Cole Clemson has yeah. been running their scout team with a former NFL player and former Orange Bowl winner who beat the Buckeyes, Taj Boyd. So I know Urban's been telling those defensive guys about that. Everybody knows that. And I'm just excited um, for this game. And uh, one other key is, to me, Mike Weber's got to get the ball 15 times. So does Curtis Samuel. They've got to run the ball. JT Barrett can't carry the ball 30 times and can't throw the ball 30 times like he did the last time we seen him, even though they beat beat the team up north in overtime. That just can't be the case. No, it can't. It, you you got to get uh, you got to get Mike Weber uh, Jr. You got to get him established early. You know, you gotta you want to play keep away from Deshaun Watson and that uh, that offense because they, you know, the passing game is explosive for Clemson. So you you want to keep them on the uh, bench. You know, keep them cold where he doesn't have a hot hand. And uh, you know, we really got to get somebody to step up. In this passing game, to me, that's 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 the key, and I'm sure Urban and them they they've worked on that uh, over this long break, you know, because with especially them not playing in the Big Ten championship, you had extended practice time, everybody to get healthy, and it, it, it should be a great game. And then when you're talking defensively speaking, uh, you know, you name some great names, but I'm I've been very impressed, even though he's coming off from the bench. Jalen Holmes has been a, a nightmare, a kid out of Virginia. Oh, yeah. uh, um, I'm, I'm friends with his, his aunt. That's her nephew, uh, so I'm a little bit biased. But the kid out of the 757 area, he's been bringing the pain, man. So I, I look forward to it. And Sam Hubbard, a guy here who's uh, here out of local area, out of Cincinnati, out of Moeller. And you have another guy, uh, Jerome Baker, who I believe is out of uh, St. X, great linebacker to uh, be up there with uh, Raekwon McMillan that makes a great linebacking corpse. It's just it's exciting, and, and you just look forward to this game. And, uh, you know, it's it's going to be a very physical matchup. But, like I said, when you, you give the Buckeyes bulletin board material, Irvin has the troops and rallies them and has them prepared. And I just look for them to uh, really take it to the Dabble, Sweeney, and company. One thing you never worry about with the Buckeyes, they love the big lights. They love the big game. So yep, you never worry about the moment being too big for them. And, you know, one thing you think about with this team, you talk about the recruiting and things like that. Uh, one of the old business lines is I think this Buckeye team is uh, on time and under budget because they literally, you know, weren't supposed to be in the college football playoff the next year Correct. by all the pundits, accounts, and whatnot. But we know the Correct. strength of the program in Columbus. Uh, as Buckeye fans, and it's exciting to schedule. Yeah, ahead of schedule, but I think they're on schedule because they 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 manifested themselves at the right time. They regrouped after playing two hard games on the road. You talked about them getting by Wisconsin um, in a tough game up there, and then they, you know, of course we had the special team woes in Unhappy Valley. But they regrouped and then came back with two sixty-point games, and that shows a young team, you know, just you know maturing and actually exceeding their own expectations, exceeding, you know, their own ceiling. And I think that's the best part of these Urban Meyer teams and getting to see these players. So that's why we want to see somebody emerge from the wide receiving core 
And then, you know, you, you talked about uh, those linebackers. you got to give a shout-out, too, to the two walk-on guys. Berger, Fader, Fader, Berger, like way Irvin Meyer, you know, Berger had that huge play against the game. So I know these guys. That's what I said. You talked about, you know, uh, Mr. Virginia Beach, Jalen Holmes. We know these guys, that those names. But, you know, I think some of these other names are really going to step up for the Buckeyes. Um, I'm predicting the Buckeyes win this game by two touchdowns in the Fiesta Bowl because we know Urban likes to put the score on them. Um, and uh, I don't know what Dabo Sweeney is, but I just saw this guy. Uh, shout out to all the Buckeye fans already out there in Arizona. But uh, I just saw this guy at the Phoenix Suns Raptors game. So clearly he's not losing any sleep or losing any moments doing any extra strategy. Yeah, um, he, he's a he's a free spirit, Dabo Sweeney. You know. Um... He's a player's coach, but I, I think as I as I refer to him, uh, he's from my hometown, uh, General Urban Meyer, Ashtabula, Ohio. He's I, I really think, man, when you give Urban Meyer a month to prepare for a team and he gets to study film and, and just look at everything and break it down, he will have his team ready. And they they are with Urban, they always seem to try to really Really peak at the right time, and they I think they'll I think they'll peak correctly, and I think they'll get this this deficiency in the passing game. I think they'll have it worked out with this extra practice time. So I look for the Buckeyes to pull through. Um, you say two touchdowns. I, I'll say you know I'm more a little bit more reasonable, and and I respect the opponent, and I just I think maybe maybe a, a touchdown here, but. You know, with Urban Meyer, hey, it, it could be a bloodbath where we, we get up there and get two touchdowns on them or, or a 17-point type game. So it, it's just interesting to see, you know, the, the schematics of the offensive lines and defensive lines because I, I really think, you know, you have a lot of athletes on both sides of the ball. So it's, it's really going to be competitive. And uh, you're going to see the physicality and just the speed, the overall speed on both sides of the team you're really going to be able to witness this in this game. I think why the Buckeyes struggle a little bit sometimes in Big Ten play, because they're not, you know, always the most physical teams. They can always go to distance. We see that when they go to overtime and things like that, especially in the game and, you know, the wins over the last couple of years. But they're they're built for the college football playoffs. Don't get in any mistake. That's what Urban Meyer's building these guys for. You talk about the strength, you know, Coach Mick, you know, getting those guys, you know, you see the transformations, you know, that these guys make from the time they walk in the doors in Columbus and Definitely. the time that they're getting drafted, going to the NFL, you know. Definitely. Um, Definitely. It, so it, it, it's going to be so exciting, and we know everybody's excited. So shout out to Buckeye Nation, everybody. Enjoy your New Year's Eve, and hopefully we're talking to you in 2017 um, about a national championship game. Definitely. Garrett, uh, say goodbye to the good people. Hey, it was great talking uh, college football and the college football playoff, and, and it's always great to have the great state of Ohio represented by Urban Meyer, the general, and the Buckeyes. And I look for us to go ahead and take it all again. O-H. I-O, give us a like on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. We'll be tweeting during the games. You can follow Garrett Staples at Ohio Player 80 uh, we're just at with an Ohio bias. It probably, if you if you get confused, it will be within a Go Bucks bias uh, on New Year's Eve. And as always, go Buckeyes. Buckeyes follow Buckeyes. Buckeyes. Orange. Ayo. Here we go.
All right, man. That's good stuff. I got you getting too fired up. You know what I'm saying? Just thinking about it. I've been holding it in. That's why I wanted to do one more. You know what I mean? I hear you, buddy. Ain't nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with it. <laughs> you got to let it. You got. That's the best thing about this podcast for me. I don't know if you found that, but it, even when, you know, win or lose, you know, like it, it's a little bit of it's a little cathartic to get it out. You know what I mean? Right. You hold in some of these thoughts. You could talk to people. I was talking to somebody today about the Browns, and I can't really let the whole energy out sometimes because, you know, people just ask you in passing or they just making conversation, and they might not care as much as you do. You know what I mean? Right, <laughs> right, 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 right. I understand. I understand. I get it. I, I I know how I feel about these Bengals, and this is this has been a hellacious year, man. I did Nobody expected that down here. We knew the Reds were going to suck. <laughs> with the front office and everything like that, but this was this was very unexpected uh, with the Bengals. All right, man, I got to get to editing, in, but we'll get them up. These will be up tomorrow morning, so probably around eleven or twelve. I'll get it up, so because I'm I'm off, I'll be watching the bowl games. So oh, okay, cool, cool. Yeah, I got to get my my butt up, but at least I telework from home uh, Thursday and Friday, so that's cool. Oh, very good, yeah. very good. Then. All right, brother. Thanks a lot for filling in, man. All right, buddy. You're welcome. Take care. Bye-bye.